0: The following is a Pro Football Network podcast. The primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the PFN Premier NFL Draft Podcast. Only this is not a pre-draft podcast. This is a post-draft podcast, the first one. Of our, um, you know, of our, of our short careers, huh? So it's a fun one. Uh, the 2022 NFL Draft was this past weekend. Obviously, a lot to take away from it. We already broke down the first two days. I think, or I think it was the first day, actually. Yeah, we broke down Just the first, the first day. day. Just the first Just day. Just the first day. In. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it, it happens so fast. You don't always have time to look back and see. All right, what did we cover? What happened? We, but yeah, the first day we broke down. Now today we've gotten rounds two through seven done. We're kind of a few days out. We've had time for the dust to settle. So Ali, we're gonna take a look back, give our top classes. You know, some of the best ones that stood out to us. Some of the best late round fits, mid to late round fits for prospects, and then UDFA. Obviously, one of the deeper classes in recent memory. So a lot of steals on the UDFA circuit. Uh, but first off, Ali, uh, we've, we've had a few days to kind of exhale, take a deep breath. How you doing? Yeah, doing good. Man, we were just like, we were just
1: talking before we came on to. Take record. What a whirlwind of three days the NFL draft is when you you're covering it live, and it's it's taken me the like the following two days. Obviously from a sleep perspective over in the UK, there wasn't a great deal of sleep at all over the weekend, but also just going back and kind of realizing where some of these guys went, the sort of draft classes that some of these teams had. Because in the moment, it was like just. Well, we're grading this guy and we're grading this pick and and we're, 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 we're kind of trying to do some instant takeaway pieces about, you know, I wrote a piece about the New York Jets and the New York Giants after day one. And when you sit back and kind of take it all in, it was a it was a wild old 2022 NFL draft.
0: yeah it certainly was sorry i was i was managing my cat both of our cats are trying to be disruptive today i know ali's was on the bed behind him when we were getting started and my cat is currently trying to hijack my chair oh she just hijacked my chair We a quick update there we she has successfully hijacked the chair so i'm standing up talking but that's fine i agree you know i think uh, it was it was a whirlwind for sure and especially when you're you know writing the live picks that's even more you know you don't always have time to look back and you know take a step back and see you know who's putting together the top class but You know, as we've taken a few days to look back now, it's become pretty clear, you know, and I think overall, you know, I thought it was a pretty solid performance from a lot of teams. I think that you can make an argument that there weren't many big losers in this one. Maybe a few teams where you're like, all right, maybe I wouldn't have taken that guy there. But at the end of the day, if we look back in two to three years and they've succeeded, then that's all you need. You know, we we really have no idea what's going to happen. So as much as we want to say we do after scouting these guys, the outcomes are countless, right? So that that's kind of the, the mentality that you got to have. That said, you know, we didn't watch all these prospects the past few months for nothing, okay? We tried to come away with, you know, a general understanding of who's won this one. And so, Ali, what were some classes that stood out to you round one through seven? You know, any team that kind of maybe didn't do as well in round one but really picked it up on day three with a few steals, any team that just hit it out of the park all the way through, what are some classes that stood out to you uh, through the 2022 NFL Draft? I think
1: it's difficult to start anywhere other than with the Baltimore Ravens because you look at a class that top to bottom was pretty spectacular in terms of not just the actual talent that they got, the talent where they got that talent. I think you can't really go much further wrong. Uh, Well, not much further wrong. That's not the right thing. That's not what I'm trying to say. You can't go much better than what the Baltimore Ravens did because Kyle Hamilton at fourteen was, and we know we talked about this on um, on Friday's show. Um, Obviously, a lot of Minnesota Vikings fans were were kind of upset that they had that trade with the Detroit Lions that took them out of Kyle Hamilton range and put them into Lewis Seam range. And obviously we tried to provide some consolation for those guys, but for Kyle Hamilton to be still there at 14 for the Baltimore Ravens was huge. Then to get Tyler Lindebaum at 25, so we talked about that day one impact, but then it just continued into day two and day three, and and David Ajabo at forty five may end up being the steal of the draft, and we we know why he was still there at forty five the injury concerns, one year of production at, at, um, at Michigan is um, you know he, he's a guy that's still got some developing to do, but very exciting. Um, prospect in terms of the athletic upside and some of the pass rush skills that he has despite his relative, relative inexperience so the Baltimore Ravens might look back at this class and say you know they got the steal of the draft at 45 with David Ajabu. um Travis Jones at 76 a, a guy who was earning first round consideration um again a steal there um Daniel Foley massive offensive tackle who um, I, I was a higher on than when he where he was drafted at 110. I can understand that he might not be considered that much of a steal because, other than his size right now, there is a lot to work with. Look, um, work on, shall I say, with Daniel Falaily, but I still think that's good value at 110. Jalen alma Davis, a guy that you spoke to in this cycle, who we talked about as being an under the radar um, and underrated cornerback, I think that's great value at 119. Jordan Stout at 130. They've got a guy who can kick punt and could have been the quarterback one of his class with his arm. They've now got the best special teams duo in the entire NFL with Justin Tucker and Jordan Stout. Isaiah Likely at 139. Um, paired him with with Charlie Colar. Two tight ends was quite an interesting vibe in that that range, especially Charlie Colar, who I think was probably not um, not as high on but certainly on my board as. Is the general consensus, um, but I think you look at the production that he had at Iowa State, I think a lot of people were quite high on Charlie Kolar. And then um, Tyler Beatty, with their last pick at 196, they're going to add a, uh, an exciting running back prospect to that backfield. and We know how, um, how Baltimore had such difficulty with injury in the last season. And so adding a guy like Taylor Baby, even if he just proves to be a depth piece in case of injury, I think it's a great grab at one ninety six. So all in all, from top to pop, top to bottom, I think not just the, the quality of the players, but where they got them, the value that they got, I think the Baltimore Ravens top to bottom was um was a, was an excellent draft class.
0: Yeah, I agree. That was the first one that stood out to me. You know, round one, for all the way through, playing the value of the board very well. You know, I think round one, getting Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Linderbaum, obviously very good. David Ajabo, when he comes back, when he's healthy, him and Adafi Oa can be a menacing edge duo. Travis Jones, man, can even round three? Come on, man. That's just... That is grand larceny from the Ravens right there, and I was—he's you know, such a good fit too. He's a alignment versatile, but you can put him at nose, and he's a—he's a game record there too. The physical tools are off the charts with him at that nose tackle position. So I really love the fit that he provides there. And then, as you said, round four, Jalen Armour Davis. I was so stoked for Jalen to go to Baltimore. That's a team that knows how to develop defensive backs, and he went to a great spot. You know, I think you could pick multiple AFC North teams because I look at the Cincinnati Bengals, and I think that they. Had a very good draft as well. If I can scroll through here, you know, Daxon Hill, Cam Taylor Britt, two of my favorite guys in the secondary in this class. I think Dax Hill, you know, versatile X-Factor. You can play him anywhere. Cam Taylor Britt, physical boundary corner with the length that they were kind of lacking. You know, even later on, Zachary Carter, you know, a little versatile, but powerful defensive lineman. You look at um, Jeffrey Gunter, who they got even later on. I mean, that was a steal in round seven. Jeffrey Gunter, this is a guy I know you've been high on. Explosive, high motor, powerful. All the physical tools are there, and they needed to boost the edge rotation. So getting him was was stellar. And then Cord- Cordell Volson, very good if he's translating to guard. I love that pick. Uh, and Tyson Anderson as well can be a very good special teamer at safety. So the Bengals, man, they they covered a lot of bases. I really liked what they did, and I think that you know they didn't have a ton of picks, but with what they had, they played the value very well. And I was pretty impressed with the, what they did. I think the uh, you know the Steelers as well. I think the Steelers too. The the Browns, really all the AFC North teams. I think. The Browns may be a little lower on my board in terms of how their grades ranked, but, you know, getting Alex Wright, getting Martin Emerson, you know, getting the guys they did, David Bell, late round late round three. I mean, a lot of value on that board as well. Uh, So I was a big fan of everything that these teams did. Kenny Pickett is obviously going to be the big wild card for the Steelers, but outside of that, George Pickens, DeMarvin Leal, Calvin Austin, you know, they got some good talent in that class, and I think that they're going to be happy with that. So AFC North. Probably a big winner in this one. If I can pull out some others, the Packers as well. Round one for the Packers, maybe a little bit dicey. And, you know, I say that with the understanding that Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, both guys with a ton of upside. I think that they can realize that. But for me personally, you know, I probably would have tried to go in a different direction round one that said the upside is there so they can deliver on that. And then every everywhere else in this draft, man, the Packers really I thought they nailed it, you know, getting Christian Watson. I think round two was a good spot for him. The upside that he has Sean Ryan late in round three. This is a guy who can lock down a guard spot for a decade and be very good. Uh, outside of that, too, Romeo Dobbs, Zach Tom, Kingsley, and Igbari, all guys that they got, you know, mid to late day three, massive steals, in my opinion, all three of those guys. And then even guys like Tariq Carpenter, Rasheed Walker, you know, Smart Touré, they really had a ton of value. And I think a lot of these guys can come out and be contributors. Flashback to a couple of years ago, you know, when the Packers had one of those drafts where, you know, they, they traded up for Jordan Love, they drafted Josiah DeGoria, you know, round three, like you didn't really know what they were doing, right? I think that was the A.J. Dillon draft. I think they've really taken leaps and bounds since then with this class. And so I was a big fan of what the Packers were able, were able to do. The Vikings as well, you know, staying in the NFC North. And I know we talked about it. Lewis seen, you know, not the flashy prospect that Kyle Hamilton is. But in my opinion, he's right there with them. And they were able to trade back. Obviously, you would have liked more on the trade back. But they still got that value and then they got a very good player and then they went and got Andrew Booth in round two, who for both of us was a high level corner, you know, a top 10 prospect. If he can stay healthy, that's the biggest thing. If he can stay healthy, Andrew Booth is definitely up there uh, for one of the best corners in the class. So overall, man, you know, I think you look at some of those teams, definitely some of the few that that won it for me. And I'm scrolling down through here and, and trying to find more. But really, We were, and I remember we were doing our composite grades the day after the draft too. And, um, you know, a lot of teams, a few teams got C's, right? You know, but mostly it was A's and B's. So, and maybe part of that's us being not harsh enough, right? But at the same time, I feel like you could make an argument that a lot of these teams improved over this past weekend. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what you want to hear.
1: Yeah, and I think um, in addition to like some really stellar, drafts from those teams and the green bay Packers. i think you know i i led with baltimore but green bay packers for me could have equally been up there i think for what that team wants to do what they they want that identity to be i thought white and quay walker were great great fits christian watson you talked about um, but like you say, even some of the, the later round guys, guys like Kingsley and Igbari, who was being talked as a first round pick early in the cycle, Rashid Walker the same came into this season very highly rated, and they got him at two hundred and forty nine. Um, Samori Toure, a guy that was was under the radar. I think there was a lot of teams who had great drafts for one reason or another. That the Carolina Panthers, I think they did great with what they had, um, what they had to work with. Um, getting Ika Maquino at six was was the right move. We discussed that on the show on Friday. But then to get Matt Corral at 94, Brandon Smith, who I think has got extremely high potential if he can be consistent at 120. That's a linebacker who can come in and be um disruptive, destructive and dominant for a lot of years if he can be consistent. Um Cade Mays, you know, they, they talked about we talk about the Carolina Panthers offensive line and it needs to be better. It needs to be more aggressive. They got two real aggressive offensive linemen in Ike I, I, I Kem Kwano and Cade Mays. Um the Eagles as well. The way they moved around the board, got Jordan Davis at 13, AJ Brown is essentially the masterpiece of their um of their class, the Jewel in the crown of their class. But Cam Juergens, Kobe Dean, Karen Johnson, Grant Calcaterra, who whose biggest knock really is the the medical stuff. He could be a, a playmaking tight end for them. I thought the Seahawks had a really interesting draft. Um outside yeah. of it outside of it being like superb i thought it was interesting you know you look you bring in two highly experienced past protectors in um charles cross and abraham lucas and then you draft a running back in kenneth walker But the tandems that they got were, were fantastic so Cro- cross cross and lucas boy mafia and tyreek smith kobe bryant and Tariq wallen cornerback tandem Bo melton and Derek young wide receiver tandem i thought the tandems the seahawks got were really interesting just an an interesting draft class where all those pieces i think could work out extremely well for the seahawks And i know a lot of people have kind of gone well that the seahawks draft doesn't make any sense especially uh, when you 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 look at the offensive tackles and then drafting a running back high in kenneth walker but a lot of what they did for the seattle seahawks who have got a reputation for being almost the jokers of the the nfl draft they always You know, we we joked about what terrible edge prospect could they take at nine, because that's the sort of move that they would make. I think they had a surprisingly solid draft that could turn out to be an excellent class if they can make all those pieces work well together.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, Bo Melton, to me, in the range that they got him, 229 overall, early seventh round, that was a steal. This was a guy I had early day three, and I think the Rutgers offense didn't really, didn't really, you know, help him out. You know, there were times when the the amount of accurate targets that he got, you know, not the same amount that you get in another offense, right? This is a guy who I think he does have the, he, he's very twitchy, very explosive you know, and I think he has flashed body control and hand usage, you know, at the catch point. So very excited to see what he can do in that rotation, because I think the Seahawks, are, the real question is, you know, Drew Locke, obviously with this draft, they've made clear that they are going to invest in Drew Locke for the next year, you know, and see if they can get more out of him. Uh, obviously getting Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, two tackles who, you know, natural left tackle, natural right tackle. These are guys who could both be in the starting lineup by the start of the season. Abraham Lucas at, at right tackle, I'm a little more iffy on, but You know both both of these guys have the athleticism to get out in space they've shown they can block on the move as run blockers and kenneth walker too is one of the best creators in this class as a running back so you know even if the holes aren't there he can create for himself he can you know use his agility to extend runs so i'm a big fan of what they did i'm excited to see what they do because honestly you know, and I feel like part of it is, you know, we love to rag on the Seahawks just because that's what you do, right? You know, you always want to rag on the Seahawks because <laughs> they always are making some, you know, some head scratching decision. But I I did think they were pretty solid this time around, especially with Tariq Wollin in round five. I feel like at that point, you know, I think the day two stuff looking back might have been a little inflated for him. But round five, I think is the perfect spot to really bank on the traits because the upside just through the roof and in that zone heavy scheme can be a really good fit. Uh, thinking back to the Steelers, there's one player that I want to mention, and this can lead into our next uh, topic of discussion. Just favorite late round fits. Uh, one for me is the Steelers getting Mark Robinson, Ole Miss linebacker, former running back. He's around 5'11", I think over 230 pounds. So the guy is dense. And I was a big fan of him late in the process. I He caught my eye when I was watching Chance Campbell, his teammate. And I was, you know, Mark Robinson is a guy who I think is trending up. And I love the fit in Pittsburgh. He seems like a Pittsburgh linebacker to me. Uh, he's very instinctive at reading the holes and shooting through explosive athlete hits like a ton of bricks, man. I mean, this guy very physical, but also he flashes coverage ability, too. And I think, you know, looking at his athleticism, again, a little on the smaller side from a pure frame standpoint. But uh, he's super dense, super physical, hard hitter, great tackler. Uh, I could really see him, you know, right away he's gonna be a great special teamer for Pittsburgh. But I actually think we could go down the line and we see Mark Robinson, you know, on Sundays getting in that defensive rotation and making some plays. I, I was a big fan of that pick, especially a few more that really caught my eye. Uh, one being in Green Bay, Kingsley and Ibarre. I mean, I think the four nine eight 40-yard dash probably hurt him a little bit, but this is a guy with near 35 inch charms. Very long, very powerful. And he's actually flashed decent ankle flexion around the apex too. So I think for, for the Packers especially, we know they love their big edges. And that is exactly what Kingsley and Ibarre is around 6'4", 270, 35-inch arms. Exactly what you're looking for in that rotation can really add to your unit. Uh, And then I got to throw this one out there. Eric Zukama, round four to the Dolphins. Yeah, this was interesting because... This is a fit that I wasn't really thinking about. It kind of flew right over my you know under my nose, right? You know, I was thinking about the 49ers potentially, but the Dolphins, man, getting, you know, that new head coach Mike McDaniel, McDaniel. I think it's McDaniel, right? I'm blanking. Mike McDaniel. <laughs> it is. It is. Okay. You're Good. Coming. Yeah, I, I'm I'm so excited. I forgot his name, but yeah, Mike McDaniel. We've seen what he can do with that 49ers offense, scheming guys around. You know, I feel like Eric Ezukanwa is the perfect fit for that offense, especially with the speed that they have in Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I mean, there's so much, I feel like there's so many different possibilities to open up field for Ezukanma so that he can, you know, be that run after catch threat, scheme him the scheme the ball and like end arounds, you know, screens, bubble screens, you know, in the slot, just quick hitches. But then also, you know the contested the catch ability that he provides downfield this is a guy who you could draw coverage to you know freeing up opportunities for everyone else so as you and know six two two oh nine thirty three and a half inch arms great run after catch contested catch threat i think for the dolphins for what they needed in that receiving core exactly what you know it's exactly what he provides it's a perfect match so i'm, I'm a huge fan of that and i think that we're going to be very excited seeing how that plays out but mark robinson Eric zucanma kingsley Barre. Just a few. I think uh, Braxton Jones to Chicago in round five, I think it was round five, was another one that I was a pretty big fan of. Uh, this is a guy who was kind of an, in a fringe top 100 range on my board. He's got to clean up his hand technique, but I do think he has the athleticism, the the grip strength, the power, the upper body torque that you're really looking for uh, to potentially be a, a future starter, a tackle. And I would have liked the Bears to address the offensive line. And the wide receiver core a little bit more early on. The only receiver they got on day two was Vilas Jones, who's 25 years old as a rookie. I like him. I like his game, but might not have the same amount of prime years that you'd be looking for. But Braxton Jones in, on day three was a pretty good consolation prize, in my opinion. This is a guy who's going to Ryan Poles, who's an experienced offensive line mind, uh, a guy who you could coach up, and he has the high-end tools for you. So I was a fan of that. He's got left tackle, right tackle versatility as well. So a few of my favorite late-round fits. What are some of the ones that pop out for you?
1: Yeah, and just just to to expand on that, like the, the Chicago Bears were one of the teams who had an interested in, in not a great way draft. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna come out bashing people and prospects and and draft classes left, right, and center. But Velas Jones at um, at seventy one that was the the biggest variance of any draft selection between where I had the prospect on my big board versus where they ended up going and not in a good way and. And uh, you, you can understand, like, Vilas Jones' special teams ability, why that would be alluring for, for an NFL team. Um, but at, at 71, it felt really, really rich. Um, and when you were talking about trying to put in a foundation to support Justin Fields going forward, like like you say, with, with Braxton Jones, we expected those two second round picks for the Chicago Bears to be offensive tackle and wide receiver. And to go safety and cornerback, like address, addressing the cornerback rooms to find someone alongside Jalen Johnson was was kind of a, a must. And I really like Kyler Gordon. And I think they've got a great player in Kyler Gordon, but just just wasn't the draft we were expecting off the Chicago Bears. Anyway, let's get back onto positivity. You mentioned Eric Karma as a wide receiver, who was a, a great value fit, great value for where he was drafted. I look at Danny Gray and the San Francisco 49ers. And what a a great fit for that offense in San Francisco, Danny Gray is. You think about Trey Lance is going to be a starting quarterback at the San Francisco 49ers. Let's presume that's science delivered. I'm yours. Let's let's not get carried away thinking Mr. Irrelevant. Brock Purdy is going to be the starting quarterback for the 49ers. And I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is either. So we're talking about Trey Lance-led offense. Danny Gray can play... The and I'm not comparing these two prospects by any strength uh, stretch of the imagination. Don't get me wrong on that, but I think Danny Gray can play the Christian Watson role for Trey Lance that Christian Watson played for Trey Lance at North Dakota State in terms of being that guy who can spread, stretch the field with his speed, with his right running abilities, ability to use throttle control as a right runner, and can go up and get it more so than you would expect for his listed height. He certainly plays bigger than the, the height he measured in out the senior ball and the combine. So he can stretch the field. He can also take the short stuff and turn it into huge games. I'm really excited to see the fit for Danny Gray in San Francisco. He's going to be an instant, instant impact maker for that team and a team who doesn't really know exactly right now what that future is going to look like for the offense. You know, Trey Lance isn't the, hasn't been ordained the the QB one yet. We don't know where Debo Samuel is going to be. I look at Danny Gray as a guy who can come in as a very, very late third round pick, the last pick of the third round and could probably be an instant impact maker on the offense. I really liked that pick by the San yeah, Francisco for sure. 49ers.
0: For sure. Um, and I think, um, you know, that was I, as someone who drafted Danny Gray in a dynasty league too. I'm a little excited that he got round three capital <laughs> too. Let's go. Let's go. That was a good one. Any, I, I realized I cut you off any others that stood out to you before we move on. Yeah,
1: there was a a couple, right? So um, I look at a couple of teams who were linked to Jordan Davis and what they did instead. So I look at the Dallas Cowboys, who took um, Arkansas nose tackle John Ridgway at 178, and they're not even anywhere close to being similar-looking players. John Ridgway is nowhere near the size of Jordan Davis, but he can play a similar role. And I think John Ridgway is really underrated was really underrated in this class because a guy who does show that he can use his hands well, he's got good lateral mobility, can be powerful, can anchor well even though he is tall and we you know we talk about the low man winning in the trenches. John Ridgway seems to be able to, to play with decent pad level all the time. Um, and I think if you, you look at the teams that were linked with Jordan Davis to, to plug that hole at sort of nose tackle position, John Ridgway is a guy at 178. I think he can have a bright future with the Dallas Cowboys. And then um, the Los Angeles charge. And, and incidentally, with Dallas Cowboys, that stretch of two picks in three, Damond Clark and John Ridgway. Now, Damond Clark obviously comes in with some injury issues and he, he's not going to play in 2022 NFL season. But I think that's a, a guy who can play linebacker for you in the NFL. Um, you, I know you've highlighted him before on this podcast in terms of a guy who can – explodes downhill, who can showcase his excellent speed in pursuit and um, can be a real game wrecker from that linebacker position. So I thought those two picks within the space of three picks for the Dallas Cowboys were great. Um, but back to the Jordan Davis point, Los Angeles Chargers, they picked up a Tito or Bonia um, in the later rounds as well. And again, similar sort of um, role as they would have um, liked Jordan Davis to to come in and play on that in the, the de- defensive interior, when they've got all those pieces around, like we're traded for Khalil Mike, they've got Joey Bosa, they're one piece on the defensive front away from being something special. And I think Artito or Albonga, there's holes in his games. He doesn't, at this present moment, really um, showcase much in terms of, of pass rushing upside. But I think he can come in and plug that gap on the defensive interior. So I really like that pick for the Chargers. And then there was another pick that I really like for the Chargers. And that was pick 260. It was my guy, Xander Horvath, the fullback out of Purdue, who I know a lot of Chargers fans weren't happy with the fact that they doubled up in the backfield with Isaiah Spiller and Xander Horvath. But this is a kid who is going to be able to protect Justin Herbert for you. He is able to take short passes off Justin Herbert for you. And he's a surprisingly Agile and uh, impressive running back out of the fullback position. I really like Xander Horvath. I think he's like a, almost like a unicorn. We talk about Drake London and Carl Hamilton as these unicorn-like prospects. Xander Horvath plays with the physicality of a big man, but the agility of a of a, a nimble running back. Um, and at pick two sixty, you've got nothing to lose bringing a guy like that, I'm bringing the fullback position to Los Angeles, making it Hollywood. I love it.
0: Yeah, I think that's the most important thing, too, is, you know, it's late round seven. I mean, what do you what do you have to lose? Not much, right? So uh, I'm a big fan of Tito Urbani going to the Chargers, too, I think, for that scheme fit. And I do think, you know, at the Senior Bowl, he showed some straight line explosiveness, some power generation, just kind of channeling that. And then in the meantime, he's a very good run defender so yeah a lot to like some others that i'll throw out there real quick and then we'll get on to i know we wanted to touch on some udfas we got about you know probably five minutes left but tyler algier going to the falcons and then they released mike davis i think that could be a very good value deal for them algier is you know not a great athlete not doesn't have great instincts but i think he's pretty solid all around the board physical pretty good elusiveness for his size over 220 pounds and he can receive out of the backfield too so i could see him you know putting together a solid career there um, Dane Belton to the Giants. I actually really like that one. Early round four, uh, a guy who could go on to you know be a solid slot guy for them. He's a great athlete. I think he has good instincts. Can come downhill and tackle. Uh, so I was a big fan of that. Matt Henningson to the Broncos later on. I think at three tech uh, could be a game wrecker if he can develop a little bit and improve his leverage. And in a similar vein too, I can't believe we didn't mention him yet. Perry and Winfrey to the Browns, round four. Uh-huh. You know, I know there was talk that maybe he fell because of maturity issues, but as long as he's, you know, as long as he stays on a straight arrow, man. That guy is talented. And he was a in our opinion is a fringe first round talent. And the Browns got him in round four. I mean, that's insane value. Uh the talent is through the roof there. You put him at three tech in the NFL. He played zero and one at Oklahoma a lot, but he can be an absolute game wrecker there. So was a big fan of that too. A lot of really solid uh selections in that sense. But Ollie, there's only 262 picks, and that's a lot smaller than you think, you know, right? The the undrafted free agent pool is huge. So real quick here you know we got about about four minutes now you know what were some udfa signings that really intrigued you who are you looking at to maybe thrive and you know lock down a roster spot come september
1: yeah so one udfa um sign that i was
0: i really like was ryan van
1: demok on the indianapolis colts he's a, a a guy who for me i was crept up my draft board late in the process and tested very well at the nfl combine and you go back and watch the film at uconn and yeah, ideal NFL size. He's got a lot of alluring NFL traits at tackle in terms of plays with independent hands. His footwork is good. He's an incredible athlete. Um, and and I thought he was a guy who could be drafted quite comfortably. And the Indianapolis Colts were a team with offensive tackle needs. Um, and they, they did address those needs within the draft itself. But I can see Ryan Van Damhoek st- sticking with the Colts. And the, the Colts were a shout-out to the Indianapolis Colts because they were a team who had... Um, I've I've picked up a number of UDFAs who were on my top 300, which, you know, they've they've obviously got a lot of talent that now they can bring into training camp and really put together a roster and see if they can build a team that can win around Matt Ryan. Um, So Ryan Van Damout was a guy that I was really impressed by um, in terms of the UDA fit. I love the fit of Kellen Deash on the, the Miami Dolphins. You know, they needed offensive tackle help and he's an athletic um, offensive tackle who has got some, there's a reason why he's a UDFA at the end of the day, but I think in terms of how he plays the game, what the Indiana, uh, the, the Miami Dolphins look for in terms of offensive tackles, in terms of the mobility that they're going to need, the athleticism that they're going to need under Mike McDaniel, I think Kellen Deesh is, is a good get for them in, as a UDFA. And it would be wrong of me not to talk about some sort of special teams. Cameron Dicker on the Rams. I was really surprised the Rams didn't take a punter. In the 2022 NFL draft, they're bringing a guy who's got punting and kicking experience, having just parted ways with Johnny Hecker, who, you know, punter, kicker, quarterback, you name it, he can do it. I think Cameron Dicker is a, a UDFA who could probably end up sticking on the Los Angeles Rams.
0: Yeah, I love it. What I don't love is a potential transition to punter for him. Dicker the punter just doesn't have the same ring to it. But no, you know, Not quite. It, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. If you can get up you can get up. So, yeah, I agree with all those. I think, you know, really every all 32 teams, you know, there's UDFAs to take a look at and you can never turn away from them because, you know, I think as of last year, uh 30% of the NFL around there was formed by UDFAs. So every UDFA has a chance to stick around, if not on the 53 man roster, we know the practice squads, you know, are bigger now. So it's a lot easier to stick around there and continue to develop a couple that I liked. um, You know, if I can, if I can pull up the list here timmy horn uh going to atlanta i was a big fan of that one he's a nose tackle super athletic had a 35 inch vertical as pro day but also near 35 inch arms on tape at kansas state charlotte transfer showed a lot of bursts off the line a lot of power capacity so i'm really excited to see how he mixes with guys like you know grady jarrett who just got an extension take one graham you know I-, I love the fit there i think that could be very good for them uh, I'm blanking on some now. Jojo Dolman going to the Colts as well. You know, he's a fun one. You know, very versatile player. Uh, great in coverage. You know, it can be that that will linebacker, but also that slot defender if you need a big nickel. So you know, big fan of that one as well. Just overall, man, Justin Ross, the Chiefs as well. That's an interesting one because the neck injury, and I know our guy James Vergoza just wrote a great piece on it, but you know the neck injury kind of added in a little bit of a layer of liability for teams right you know there is still some risk involved there but it's very clear that Justin Ross from Clemson does still want to play football so if he can stay healthy if it proves to not be an issue over time then he's a talented player he was a day two great on my board so and he going to the chiefs as well uh, that could be a big addition for them if he can stay healthy. That's the big question. Obviously, you don't want him to suffer any life-changing injuries on the field. You know, get out before that happens, right? But if he wants to play football, if he if he's willing to take the risk, then you know, who, who are who who are we? Who is anyone to say no? So the Chiefs clearly have made that agreement with him. Um, hopefully, wishing him good health because he's a very talented player. But the, the moral of the story is with any undrafted free agent, you know, there's a ton of talented players in the class, and this class in particular. You know because of the COVID year I feel like there were more players coming out. So we're gonna to get to see, you know, what happens with that. But you know, the the moral of the story is don't turn away from anyone because they all deserve a little bit of attention, you know, a ton of talent in the, in this class and very excited to see how it plays out. But I feel like that's it, that's all we've got for us today. I know we've gone a little bit over, as we always do, on brand, but uh, this has been the PFM Premier NFL Draft Podcast. We don't have we don't have uh, regularly, regularly scheduled spaces anymore uh, in the off season, but we will, you know, still be riding, we're gonna get back into 2023 stuff sooner rather than later. Uh, so we're gonna get back into the draft evaluation process in the meantime, if you have any questions about your team's haul in the 2022 NFL Draft, anything we did not cover on this podcast, feel free to message us. Ask us questions on Twitter. We're always happy to reach out. Uh, Ali's is at OJ Hodgkinson and mine is at Ian underscore Tony's underscore nine. Until next time, everyone. Peace out. Have a good one.